Welcome to the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. We'll be talking to a whole host of guests from our staff here at the theatre to our cast and creative teams from our productions. I'm George Bailey and I'll be your host for this series, taking you through everything Chichester and theatre related. So sit back, relax and enjoy what we've got in store for you. Joining me for this episode is Hugh Bonneville, who is currently playing C.S. Lewis in Shadowlands by William Nicholson, and Liz White, who is playing Joy Gresham in Shadowlands. The play is running in the Festival Theatre currently, and it's a real tearjerker. So, a huge welcome to you both, Hugh and Liz. Thank you. Thank you. How are you both doing today? Very good. Yeah, very good. It's very sunny. It's just yesterday. <laughs> and how's the run going so far? Well, I think it's going really well. The audiences seem to love it, and um, the company is a lovely bunch of people, so we're all enjoying it. And I love playing Joy. And, and I love playing opposite Hugh as well. That's a special treat. And uh, I love playing Joy as well, actually. <laughs> and, uh, it's great on Thursdays, we all, you know, we switch roles. So that's been, that's been fun. <laughs> that's been really good. The matinee is an interesting <laughs> show. So Hugh, this is your second outing at Chichester, having appeared here in An Enemy of the People in 2016. And I know this is your local theatre as well. Um, so what's it like being back, performing on the festival theatre stage? Is there something in particular that drew you back to this piece? Uh, it's actually my third visit. Uh, I, I did another show before you were born in, uh, uh, with Frank Finlay called The Handyman. Uh, what, it, what brings me back is, is um, uh, A, the opportunity to work with Liz White, but mainly laziness, because I live very nearby, as you say, and uh, it means I don't have a long commute, which in, in this game is, is quite nice. So uh, those are two, well, that's one cynical reason and one... Uh, Honest reason, but the but the third reason is because I um, I wanted to do this play and um, the opportunity of, uh, of of doing it here in my local theatre was too good to, to pass up. Um, and Liz, obviously, this is your debut performance here at Chichester. Got that right, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's your experience been like so far? Has it been what you expected? Well, it's it's actually really nice working out of London in theatre. I find I've only done it once before in my professional career and. Um, I feel, in a way, although obviously critical eyes are on you because it, it gets a lot of press and publicity down here as well, there is something about being out of that central hub of London. It just means somehow somehow you just feel a bit freer and to dance like no-one's watching and all that business. And, and when I've come away this time, I've sort of left my family at home and come by myself for most of the week, which means I can really focus. Mm. And so all that extra time outside of rehearsals where normally you'd just have to get on with life, because my life isn't here, it's sort of the subconscious can do a bit more work in a way. So while you're making your tea or your cup of tea or whatever, you're thinking about it in the background and coming to the rehearsals next day with something new that you didn't even expect. So I found it actually a really fulfilling and, and um, rich process and then then to top that off to you know open down here and it be sort of just just feel that you know you are starting the festival and it's really exciting Daniel's tenure here and that the team here are really supportive mm. it's a very very nice place to work mm. and for those that don't know about the story or, or this production in particular could you just talk us through a bit about the story and your characters um, well, I'll, I'll tee it up um, in that uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia Chronicles, um, is, when we meet him, a uh, very comfortable and secure academic in his world in Oxford, living with his brother, spending the life of the um, bachelor Oxford Don, comfortable with his uh, witty friends, male friends in college, and uh, being teased somewhat for being... Uh, cautious or unaware of the opposite sex and, um, and bookish, if you like. 
And uh, he's written a lot on Christian morality and Christian ethics, and as well as the Narnia books. And then one day, into his life, bursts. Joy Gresham. <laughs> <laughs> All the way from New York. And um, she was a writer, but had found that she'd become a mother to actually two children in real life, but one child in this text. And she'd found that she was unable to write as much as she wanted to. Her husband at the time sort of added to that pressure. They had financial pressures. And, and she had a bit of an epiphany, a spiritual epiphany, which drew her to looking at C.S. Lewis's work. And then she drew up a correspondence with him and they started to become pen pals. And she was advised by a doctor to take a holiday. So she did and she came to England and she met C.S. Lewis and their, their friendship became much more real, you know. And, um, and for years they had a platonic relationship and then Joy moved over here and had to to get married to stay over here. That was one of the options anyway. Mm. And so C.S. Lewis agreed to marry her. And then unfortunately, she became ill. But that was also the trigger for sparking their true feelings about each other. Yeah, particularly for, for, for Jack, as he's known, um, in that he had been uh, very resistant to uh, any sense of romance in his life, or indeed any sort of deep relationship, um, certainly in this version of the, of, of the story created by Bill, uh, the, the simple equation is that he lost his mother when he was eight and uh, subconsciously he feels that if you try and love someone, they die. So why love? And the, um, uh, the, the, that is, is, is turned on its head when Joy becomes ill and he, wants, and he suddenly, this, this love pours out of him and they have this intensely passionate and, and beautiful uh, relationship for again, in our story, for, for three further years, even though they thought they were only going to have a few weeks together. Um, and uh, so it, the, the big question, apart from uh, how will his faith cope with this, really the question he asked at the beginning of the play and at the end is, if, if God loves us, why does he allow us to suffer so much? And ultimately, I suppose the answer to his own question is, you have the choices in life and, and to, take the, to take the risk is better than not to take the risk. He says at one point, if you want the love, you have to have the pain. Mm. Um, and I think probably the most well-known line in the play, which is, the pain now is part of the happiness then. And that's just part of the human condition. And I think that's one of the reasons the play and the story, which has obviously started as a TV film and then became a play. One of the reasons it's resonated over the last few decades is because it is a, actually a timeless story. Every single human being will experience loss in some way and hopefully most people will experience love and the uh, the conflicting emotions that they both those conditions throw up and uh, it's it's particularly poignant because it is a, a late flowering love and uh, and no less valid for that and it's beautifully observed i think um the story is is a, is a beautiful love story very compressed into a short time and uh, it's a delight to play isn't it because it's yeah. very it's very funny and, and very very touching yeah and the rest of the cast are just brilliant you know that Rachel's drawn together such a strong company and Warney Andy Havel who plays um, Jack's brother 
is such a gorgeous character because he mm. hasn't got a relationship either, mm. has he? But he's sort of, he's just carrying on without even thinking mm. about it. No one bursts into his life. <laughs> and you've sort of touched on it already, but um, what's it like kind of portraying and building like real life characters in a real life world? Well, if, if I ever have played anybody that's based on a real person, I'll always take the opportunity to study what mm. I can about them and then, you know, take my own interpretation along with the script and see what happens. But actually with Joy, it was different because there's so much. There's so much of her own writing. There's a collection of her letters called Out of My Bone, uh, which also has the letter in it called The Longest Way Round, which talks about her journey from Judaism through to communism, through to Christianity, and what made her go on that journey of discovery and... Um, so it was, it was, it was just all there for me. And also, she was so funny, and she was such a harsh critic. Her friends had sent her their new work for her opinion, and um, she wouldn't pull any punches when she went back to them with what she really felt. And it's there's something really very refreshing about that. And also to put to find more um, context to, to about Joy's. Um, landing in Britain and like Hugh said into this group of dons that's such a fun part to play as well because she was constantly surrounded by men in a in predominantly male world mm. in the, you know in the artistic field and intellectual field so yeah I found it really interesting and exciting to read about her and everything that I read about her made me more excited about playing her well with me I was I was very lazy and did absolutely no research at all beforehand, um, partly because when I played Philip Larkin, uh, I said, I'm going to go off and research everything I possibly can about Philip Larkin. And the director said, well, you can, but it's all in the script. And I no, don't be silly. And I went off and researched everything about Larkin I possibly could, met people who knew him and all that. And of course, yes, that gave texture, but if it's not in the script, you can't play it. And indeed, everything I needed to know was in the script. And uh, so I thought, right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this off. I'm not going to bother with this. But actually, uh, I then felt very out of my depth, even though that everything that one does need to know and can only play is in the script. The text, there's no question that the, um, the texture of someone's life, which has been researched by the playwright, is invaluable if you do it yourself. So I played a very quick catch-up and uh, immersed myself. I mean, I'd read some, you know, when I was young, and I I'd, I'd studied theology at university, so I'd read some of um, uh, C.S. Lewis's works there, particularly the Screw Tape Letters, and um, and then during this, the, the, I think the most useful piece for me was reading um, A Grief Observed, uh, which is an extraordinarily raw tract on uh, his own note, his own notebook on on his grief after Joy's death. Um, but again, it's it's so beautifully concertinaed and and and, and compressed in the play. Just the final speech is an extraordinary navigation of grief, the, the, the stages of grief, certainly in, in Jack's case, from utter bleakness to navigating that to a sense of, of, of exhaustion and then acceptance and the ebb and flow of grief. And as someone who's lost people close to myself, um, I recognise that completely. Uh, and of course, you know, the other thing is neither of us are trying to do an impersonation. Mm. Um, one's trying to give a, a, an impression of a spirit. And I, th I think it was Douglas, uh, the, the son of, of uh, Joy, who said when, she, when he read uh, the initial draft, um, which Bill Nicholson had given to him, he said, you know, none of this is true but it's probably the most accurate uh, um, encapsulation of joy and um, 
and, and Jack's relationship that you could you could find. So historically accurate, no, but emotionally accurate, absolutely. And I think that's all one can try and capture in the, is the essence of character and the essence of their motivations. And in Jack's case, you know, the, the, the essence of his, uh, his this armadillo shell he had, this, this awkward... Um, he had no, he, he didn't have a maternal figure in his life from the age of eight and, and a father who was distant and uh, he clung to his brother like a, like a life raft, I think, and cocooned himself in a, in a world that was safe um, and the world of imagination, Narnia. And, uh, and if, you, if one can try and capture that and then see those walls being scaled by joy, then I think, uh, I think you have a key in. And obviously, you know, as you say, like, you know, there's a lot of sort of heavy themes that are covered, like grief and, you know, it's quite emotionally charged as a piece. But there are quite a lot of lighter moments in it as well. Mm. Um, so how, how were rehearsals, you know, were, were there a lot of kind of laughs and rehearsals? Were, were there kind of moments of finding those lighter bits within it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the read-through, I was a, I was a mess at the read-through because, yeah. I, you know, the, the, one's response to, like, when I first read the play some time ago, you know, I just found it deeply, deeply moving. And uh, and therefore, the, <laughs> the read-through was just embarrassing because I was just, a, you know, a basket of Kleenex. And, uh, and in fact, all, most of, a lot of rehearsals, you know, I found each scene very, very emotional to play. Um, but um, but Liz is fantastic at finding uh, <laughs> gallows humour wherever she could. So we did find some nice codes of uh, codes of uh, being cheeky about uh, in the face of uh, great pain and death. Because I think actually you have to um, uh, if it's going to have its punch, it has to have its lightness. And and it's such a heavy subject, isn't it? Mm. We, um, you know, we did we did have a, an awful lot of laughs actually during the rehearsing. Yeah, it was funny. I realised that I sort of take almost the opposite approach. Like, I never <laughs> cried when I read it. I didn't cry at the read through. <laughs> and then when we were rehearsing, we would start to rehearse the the death scenes. And I couldn't stop giggling. <laughs> and <I> felt, <laughs> to the point, you know, and it was all right, it was a good laugh and everything. And then I got home that night and I felt quite embarrassed because I thought, well, actually, we couldn't get that much work done because I kept flipping it, you know. <laughs> and I realised, actually, I was quite terrified of, of playing those scenes because you have to really go there and that's that's a really vulnerable place to go. And... And so anyway, the director was brilliant about it and he was brilliant about it and then, we, you know, we did it. And, but still, it, it was a real... I mean, Rachel, our director, has got a fantastic laugh, hasn't she? <laughs> like, proper guffaw. And um, so she'd keep everything really light and she'd be really encouraging. And, and then when we brought... When he, the humour came out in the actual play, that was great because it always felt like we had an audience, you know, mm. not just four cold walls and yeah. people staring at you saying, please make it good. Um, so, yeah. And then the first night that we opened was so exhilarating because everyone was laughing, you know. It was full, wasn't it? And uh, so that's 1,300 people just laughing all the way through and that stuff we, we'd forgotten was funny. So, yeah, it's actually very joyful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you, you can see us. And just going back a bit as well to Rachel, what was your what was your relationship like with Rachel in the room? Was it a very collaborative process in creating your characters? Yeah, I felt so. Um, she's very clever. She seems to be able to hone in quite quickly on what each different actor needs mm. and what sort of notes work best. 
short ones work best for me (laughs) 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 and very few and that's what she gave me and that was great because you know it's just not too much to bamboozle me and then I was able to work with it and yeah, it was, it was very collaborative, very good. She has a very, she's a very smart lady and, uh, and very instinctive and, and practical. That's what I really loved about her. Mm-hmm. As Bill had said at the very early stages, he said, you know, this is a play that needs to focus on the emotions of these two people. You don't want big, you know, sets of Oxford dining rooms trundling on um, and then, you know, trying to trundle on an entire world of their house where Jack and Warney live or anything like that partly because it's just cumbersome and also because the scenes are so short that you'd... And then we've got something like 22 scene changes, Mm. haven't we? Um, And so she wanted to find... Rachel wanted to find a a vocabulary, a stage vocabulary, a physical vocabulary that stripped all that away and just kept the thing moving and uh, was just practical. So uh, going back to what Liz was saying about our incredible ensemble, you know, the, 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 the cast who, it's not a two-hander, you know, this is nine, I can't imagine it being done without these no. nine people. And the way that the set, uh, such as it is, with this extraordinary, beautiful uh, backdrop that we have, this wonderful support at the back, but, we, but the actual pieces of, you know, furniture in, on, the, on the fourth stage, which are shifted around to, to denote different, you know, different locations, has been so deftly used. And, of course, it's a big risk. You know, will the audience buy into this? Will they go with the fact that this desk is in Jack's house, but it also happens to be in Joy's house? Or it's in a hotel. And right. it's in a hotel or it's in a registry office. You know, mm. It just happens to be there. And the audience does buy that. They get it. They get that we're following this story you know, um, into different locations, but we're keeping it moving. And, and Rachel was incredibly sensitive about how to best tell that story how to bring us all you know without in any way being directorially tricksy keeping that simple but visually interesting and to have george um, um, you know movement um, uh, movement director uh, you know but there is a sense of choreography of us all moving in sympathy with each other moving the furniture in sympathy with each other but mandy havel who just can't you know, keep yeah. in sync anyway so that there is a sense of a, of a sort of musical collaboration in, in 3d um, which i think has really helped our storytelling and uh, and allowed bill's text to come through and, and the relationship between joy and jack to really you know uh, be something that's different and uh, i think a lot of people have used the word mesmerized there's something almost quite sort of balletic and poetic about the way that we've we've found this stage vocabulary um, I never thought I'd use the word balletic referring to me but anyway um, but there is a, something there's a choreography about the whole piece that feels right for itself doesn't mm. it and it's and that's the unique thing about theatre you can see another production of this play um, you know and there will be sets trundling on and off or, or it'll be a tv version or a film version um, and good plays, is, you know, it's been rightly described as a modern classic because I think this will survive because the what will survive of us is love, as uh, Larkin said. So why should audience come to see Shadowlands? What, what can they sort of expect from the production? I think it's really funny. I think it's really funny and really touching. And uh, anyone who has experienced the roller coaster of grief or, or of losing someone or of indeed just being with someone who's unwell and loving them, I think they will get a lot out of it. Mm. And Daniel Evans said to me that he found it, after watching it, a very meditative play. There's a lot of lines that echo each other, so it's something that you can come and I think will stay with you afterwards because you get some of the lines repeated several times throughout the show. And so, you know, whenever I see a show like that for days, maybe weeks afterwards, they come back to haunt you in a way or to feed you in some way, inspire you in some way. Mm. I think it's, it, like, 
who said a very rich experience. And, you know, you're not going to get a number. It's only two rounds <laughs> through the interval. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to see this show. And actually, since we moved into the space, I'm quite good at it because I can't peep around anymore because <laughs> <laughs> I'm on stage most of the time. Well, fab. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been so lovely chatting to you both and hearing all about Shadowlands. Um, Shadowlands runs in the Festival Theatre until 25th of May, so do come down and catch it before it's too late. And I hope the rest of the run goes fantastically well for you. Thank you, thank you very you much. Very Cheers. Thank you. This has been the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Please do like, rate, share and subscribe on all relevant social media and we hope to see you at the theatre soon. As always, thank you for listening and we hope you look forward to the next episode. Join us in our next Festival 2019 edition where we'll be speaking to Claire Burke from This Is My Family.